Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 335. It's titled, Are Non-Fungible Tokens NFTs a Good Investment? When I was an institutional investment advisor, I had a number of clients in New Orleans. I spent a lot of time there. Typically, I'd fly in the night before, have a good meal in the French Quarter, and then I would often visit some of the art galleries that were in the area. There was one particular artist that really stood out. Her name is Isabelle Dupuis. She's from France, but lives in the States. I was really impressed with her paintings of poppies and other flowers. It was very three-dimensional art. And about three years ago, I wanted to hang a painting over our couch in our living room. I have never commissioned a piece of art before, but I sent an email to her. And she agreed to paint Lepreau and I a painting. It's about eight feet. It's a field of poppies and other flowers. It was actually quite reasonable. I think we paid $8,000 for this painting. She asked questions on what we wanted to guide her as she worked. She sent updates on how the painting was progressing little by little with pictures. It was a fascinating process. We still have the painting. It's kind of a pain to move as we move from house to house. It doesn't actually weigh that much. I didn't really think of this as an investment. It was something that was beautiful, that we enjoy, that we look at. Art can also be thought of as an investment. I have spoken about Masterworks, which has sponsored the show. And I own a very small fraction of Monet's 1881 painting, Coudevant, which I bought through Masterworks. I also like this painting because it reminds me of taking my daughter to France when she was nine, when we visited the coast of Normandy. That's what this painting is of. The poppy fields also remind me of our visit to France. In the case of this Monet painting, I've never seen it in person. I own a very, very small fraction. This is more of an investment. Masterworks estimates that the painting is worth 7% more than what I paid for it, at least my little bit of it. In seven or eight years, Masterworks will sell the painting, and I potentially will earn a return. Now, I'm trusting the Masterworks platform. They have documentation that I own a portion of this work. Originally, when Masterworks started, they were going to put these ownership records on the Ethereum blockchain. The paintings would be tokenized assets, a topic that we discussed back in episode 228 
where a physical or digital asset is linked to a token that is stored on a decentralized, open-sourced blockchain, a distributed ledger. That's what Ethereum is. This was a network that launched in 2015. Ethereum is the second largest cryptocurrency outstanding as measured by market capitalization. It sells for much less, about $1,800 per coin, and the coins themselves are called Ether, whereas Bitcoin is, is close to $60,000. With Ethereum, you can actually have what are known as smart contracts, metadata that is connected to the particular coin, and I'll talk about this process more in a few minutes. But for now, just know that Masterworks originally designed their platform to work in conjunction with Ethereum. But they had too many problems with the SEC, the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, as to whether this is a security that they're selling and how would it be regulated or should it be regulated. And they decided to rebuild it off the blockchain and then each particular piece of art is its own security that is registered with the SEC. This year, we've heard a lot more about another asset-backed token called non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, and they're being used to sell digital art or crypto art. With Masterworks, it was going to be a physical piece of art. With these NFTs, they are on the Ethereum blockchain. Each NFT is unique, and that's what we mean by non-fungible. It can't be divided into smaller pieces. Each NFT has metadata associated with it that says who made the piece of art, when was it created. It can include an image or a link to a file or other descriptors. And then that information is combined together into a unique 40-digit sequence of letters and numbers. Creating an NFT is, is known as minting. Then it's added to the blockchain to be bought or sold. And by added to the blockchain, as with all cryptocurrencies, that transaction needs to be verified. And there are computers, networks all over the world that are verifying these transactions by solving an algorithm that includes the transaction, the 40-digit sequence of letters and numbers, and they solve this equation. Whichever computer nodes or mining networks solve it first, they are rewarded with new Ethereum. And then it's added to this digital ledger, the block or these transactions. That's what an NFT is. Just as with Masterworks that originally was going to do this, there becomes an issue. Is, is this NFT a security if it's bought or sold? Does the person acquire the copyright? What, what actually are you buying? And it turns out, no, you're not actually buying a copyright to the work. All you're doing is you're buying a digital token that says you own this digital artwork. This version of the digital artwork that can be readily copied. The artist can create other NFTs with the same artwork if they want. Which begs the question, what exactly is one buying when they buy an NFT? In some ways, you're just buying status, bragging rights to say that you bought this piece. With the Monet that I bought, there was just one. It was unique. Now, someone could sell a print of it, but it was the original painting. 
The piece of artwork I have from Isabelle Dupuis is also unique. It's original. NFTs are original in that digital string is unique, but what it's tied to may or may not be unique. Howard Lindzen, he's an investor, entrepreneur, and market commentator, said of NFTs, it's a pent-up cycle where the money has nowhere to go, so it's doing stupid things. Dan Kelly, the president of nonfungible.com, said the real key is the ownership itself. It's the status that comes with owning that thing. It's totally different owning the original versus the replica. Are NFTs stupid or is this the status of owning something? A digital string that ties it to a specific digital art file. It's amazing how popular these things have gotten. One of the sites where you can purchase NFTs is Nifty Gateway. It's often done through an auction process. There is a new piece of digital art, crypto art, hitting their network every five seconds. Now, many go unsold. And artists have to pay an upfront fee to mint the NFT. It can range from forty dollars to $1,000. Some have sold for incredible prices. There was an NFT GIF. It was an animated flying cat with a Pop-Tart body sold for $580,000. Last week, an artist named Beeple, whose real name is Mike Winkleman, sold a piece of digital art for $69 million. You can buy video clips of NBA players. I saw one video clip of LeBron James dunking. It sold for a few thousand dollars a few months ago. Now it's valued at over $200,000. In some ways, this seems absolutely crazy. Digital art selling for millions of dollars. It made me reflect what actually is investing. This type of purchase, where there isn't any cash flow, where you make money only if you can sell it to somebody at a higher price in the future, is a speculation. Speculation, there's a disagreement between whether the return will be positive or negative. It differs from an investment, where an investment generally has an expected positive return, and there's agreement on that, usually because there's cash flow involved, there's income. A speculation, no. There's some disagreement. Maybe it's worthless. Maybe it's worth millions of dollars. Speculations aren't bad, but an inherent quality of speculations is they are difficult to value. There isn't any objective measure. We can't look at the income being generated and say, on average, it should sell for 10 times the annual income. Or historically it has, and now it's selling for more than that. All we have is the price. One of the special characteristics or attributes of art as a speculation is it's beautiful to look at. It can bring back memories like some of the art that I own. Ideally, it's rare and something people recognize that it's a value. For many of these, these NFTs, I think that's a little more difficult because it isn't physical. What is the point of investing? Why do we invest? We invest to save resources to be used in the future if we are unable to work or choose not to work. And in order to save, as we save those, we hope to earn a positive real rate of return. Because the money supply expands over time, primarily through bank lending, that creates more money. More money leads to higher prices. That's what inflation is, a higher cost of living. 
if we can earn a return greater than inflation, then we can maintain our purchasing power. We'll have enough money to buy food and to pay for shelter in the future. That's why we invest personally, to earn a real return. Businesses are on the other side of investing. As part of investing, we can provide capital to businesses, money, that those businesses can use to create something useful, an item or experience that people value and are willing to pay for. That capital can be in the form of debt, where money is lent to the company and they pay interest, or it can be in the form of equity, where the investor owns a portion of the company and gets to receive dividends or share of the profits. That's what the company is receiving. Now, once the company issues debt or issues equity, those securities, the stock or bonds, can be sold and traded in the secondary market. What companies seek to do that have received the capital, the way that they add value, and this is based on the book by finance professor Mahir Desai, The Wisdom of Finance, the recipe for value creation is that the company should earn a return on the project that they're investing in with that capital that's greater than the cost of that capital, greater than the interest rate paid on the debt, greater than the expected return priced into the stock. And companies seek to generate returns higher than that cost of capital. And if they do, if they exceed expectations for the equity, then it goes up in price. The stock can go up in price. But that's the goal of the company, to exceed its cost of capital by being a good steward of that capital, including not passing on externalities, costs that are borne by society or other people that are innocent and not associated with the transaction. There's cost. All the costs should be embedded in the price of that product. Where does NFTs fall into that? Well, the artist is being supported, so hopefully it helps them create more art in the future. So in some ways, they're providing capital, but there isn't any return of capital that the artist provides to the holder of the NFT. It's just that status, that satisfaction. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com david. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. 
But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. One of the criticisms of Ethereum and Bitcoin is they're highly energy intensive. All these computers around the world verifying transactions, competing for rewards if they're able to solve the mathematical equation as part of verifying the block and adding it to the blockchain. Digiconomist estimates that the annual energy consumption for Ethereum is 28 terawatt hours. Bitcoin is 82 terawatt hours. But if you look at different estimates, such as from the Cambridge Center of Alternative Finance, they estimate that Bitcoin is between 41 terawatt hours per year to 440 terawatt hours because nobody knows exactly how energy efficient the computer servers that are being used are. There's also uncertainty as to the source of that energy. A Cambridge University survey showed that 76% of Bitcoin miners use renewable energy. And they estimate that total renewable energy consumption by miners is about 39%. Bitcoin and Ethereum miners have a high incentive to find the cheapest source of power because it allows them to be more competitive in verifying these transactions. Some of the cheapest sources of power can be renewable energy, but you can also have highly subsidized coal-generated power. You'll often see quotes that, well, Ethereum is using more energy than the entire country of Chile. But in the context of overall global power use, it's about 27,000 terawatt hours of power, according to the BP Statistical Review. That means the Ethereum network is using about 0.1% of the world's electricity per year. And Bitcoin is using 0.3%. Is that a lot? Carlos Domingo estimates that banks, including their servers, their branch networks, their ATMs, use 100 terawatt hours a year. Is that a lot? I think it comes back to... Is Bitcoin or Ethereum or the financial system valuable or anything else? Cryptocurrency is an entirely new financial network, a store of value, and there is an energy cost, just as there is an energy cost with any financial initiative. Question we have to decide personally, is it worth it? I've been reading a paper by... 
academic and businessman Adair Turner. It's titled Techno-Optimism, Behavior Change, and Planetary Boundaries. And it discusses climate change and what to do about that. There's two schools of thought, he points out. Techno-optimism, where that will eventually be able to get to a zero-carbon emission economy through electrification, through using renewable energies. And that will allow us to maintain our existing standard of living, drive electric cars, fly planes that are not based on fossil fuels, eat what we want. The second philosophy is that what he labels the end of consumerism, that we need to make huge changes in the near term to our consumption patterns. Stop flying. Don't eat red meat. Don't drive. Bicycle instead. He writes, of course, like any binary choice, this one oversimplifies. Many sensible people rightly support a balanced mix of both approaches and philosophies. Turner points out that electrification will solve many of the climate-related challenges as more and more of what we do and consume is based on the grid, which is supported by renewable energy, wind, solar, nuclear. Much of what we do won't lend itself to that. Animal production, how we grow food, get textiles. One of the most efficient things we can do in the near term is not eat as much meat because it's highly inefficient. And it creates significant amount of methane, which contributes to climate change. When we think about these huge challenges and that the migration to more renewable energy, where do NFTs fit in that? Buying a virtual couch or a video. Memo Atkin, a computational engineer, estimated that the average crypto art transaction has a footprint of 340 kilowatt hours. It's equivalent to a EU resident's total electric power consumption for more than a month, or equivalent to flying for two hours. Is that worth it? We have to decide that. I own Bitcoin. I own Ethereum. I like them because they're scarce. I like them because they're trusted. I worry about the amount of power that's being used, but then relative to other uses and the percent of the total power that's consumed, and I struggle with how they fit in the total scheme of things because I think they are incredibly ingenious and are creating a new world of finance. Now there's all kinds of negatives and risk, including the threat of additional regulation or that they'll even be outlawed. But as we learned a few months ago, even central banks are looking at digital currencies. And there's other ways to do digital currencies. Right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum are based on proof of work, where the miners are verifying the transactions manually and they're competing all over the world. It could also be done with proof of stake, where you have trusted partners doing that verification. So there's less energy consumption. But with all of our investments, we have to step back and ask. What's it for? How is it benefiting us? What's the objective? How will we make money? How will this investment be successful? How is this capital being used? Is it being used to harm the planet? Is it being used to create something useful and beneficial, something beautiful? Or is it a gimmick and a waste? There'll be a difference of opinion regarding NFTs. I think they're a little gimmicky. I would rather own a physical piece of art 
where I can see the scarcity, where I can admire its beauty. Not that you can't. Some of these NFTs are incredibly beautiful, but they are digits tied to a digital signature. And I'm not convinced that we'll value those digits as much in the future to where it will be worth more. Maybe some of them will. But those are speculations where there's a difference of opinion what the returns will be. Most of my investing, and I believe most of your investing, should be in investments that have a positive expected return, where there's cash flow and there's income, and we recognize how this capital is being deployed. How is it benefiting society? Being aware, is, is it harming society? And make our adjustments accordingly. But with NFTs, I don't think there's sufficient scarcity. If you look at the number of artworks being created, it doesn't seem su sufficiently scarce to me. Maybe you want to reward a particular artist and support them. But as a speculation, I have doubts. I feel more comfortable with Ethereum itself that NFTs are based on because that has the scarcity based on the number of coins that will ultimately be created as part of the algorithm. But even that's just digits. It kind of blows your mind that it's just bits. But then again, so is fiat currency created out of thin air by changing the digits on a screen. The dollar itself is just a non-interest-bearing liability of the Federal Reserve, just like other currencies are. They're nothing, no intrinsic value. So in some ways, NFTs are as ludicrous as dollars themselves because there is no intrinsic value. And then we have gold, which is just a pretty rock that is valuable because it's rare and because we value it. That's what speculations are, just what people value. They're not capital deployed to create something that grows over time and generates cash flow. That's what investments are. We'll see how this tokenization of assets continues. Right now, there doesn't appear to be a lot of tokenization or NFTs tied to physical items. It's mostly digital, but I think the physical will be coming next. And what'll be cool about that is it will make it easier to sell something that's illiquid. It's difficult for me to sell my portion of Monet's Coup de Vent. It's not an active secondary market, but if it was a digital token tied to it, then perhaps if there was a, a robust secondary market, I could sell it. But tokenization is coming. It will continue to evolve and it'll be fascinating to watch. That's episode 335. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to learn more about investing, I have two ways I can help with that. First, you can sign up for my weekly Insider's Guide email list, and I'll email you the links and show notes to that week's episode, an essay on money, investing, and the economy. And if you sign up for the Insider's Guide email list, you'll get a free investment guide, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, a summary of the key points of my book by the same name. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. If you would like additional guidance on building out an institutional quality investment portfolio, managing your assets as you save and invest in retirement, you can get that help and guidance by becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. It's where you can access professional-grade portfolio tools, training, and a community to manage your investments like a professional. These are the same tools I use 
to manage my investments, to monitor risk, to estimate expected returns for different asset classes. Plus, membership includes model portfolio examples to help jumpstart your investing and much, much more. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.